welcome to NFT Rebels, the podcast where technology, creativity, education, and non-fungible experiences meet each other. It's me, Annie Alexander, and in each episode, me and the Rebels will have a real unscripted talk, share genuine opinions, and show raw emotions. Should we start? Hello, hello. Hey, everyone. Hi. And welcome to the NFT Rebels. Hello, everyone Why, who's thank watching. <laughs> Marianne is in the studio. I really am super happy that we uh, we made this happen um, because um, I really wanted to talk to you because, uh, as you know, uh, I, I think NFT Rebels should be about powerful stories and I haven't met many people who have more powerful stories or you know even getting closer to what you've got uh, and I think that story is powerful not only because it's very um, you know extreme but I also think that it kind of it's very inspiring and and in, inspiration is something that we need in this space because as artists, we're all very vulnerable. We all have self self doubts. We always are kind of, you know, feeling that our art is not complete yet. It's not good enough, um, oh, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I think, you know, you're probably the best person to talk about <laughs> this. So welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, uh, oh my God, I don't even know where to start from. But start I guess with whatever from... you want. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start from yeah. So basically, uh, today um, the 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 way I shaped the topic was basically art and NFTs as as kind of the continuation of art, being that gateway to freedom, right? Uh, That's right. And and. In your case, probably that would be even kind of relevant if you take it literally yes. uh, at some shape and form. Um, so, um, so let's talk about that. But before that, I guess uh, probably it makes sense to start from the very beginning and just you know, you you just tell me. Um, when did you start creating art? Because I know you've been in the space for a very long time, and I'm not mm. talking about the NFT, but in general, creating yeah. art thing. <laughs> um, so, so I guess uh, we'll just start from before and after things. So before the sure. NFTs, when it was just a traditional art, what were you doing? I uh, actually started in a multimedia company 20 years ago, and I was doing limited digital work and, and paintings. Um, I knew that I had an ability, but I didn't know if I was good enough to earn a living at it. And I think that's something that virtually all artists go through. Um, and so when um, about the year two, uh, I'd say 1999 or 2000, uh, we lost everything. And, uh, one day I just had this realization. No. <laughs> hey, come here. No. He wants to tell sorry. his story too. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. We okay. have little furry babies and she's my furry baby. And she's annoying sometimes. I love you, but you're annoying. Okay. <laughs> yes. I love you. Okay. Um, 
I made a decision one day when they when they took all of the stuff that we had decorating our home. I thought, well, I could just repaint things. I could paint things. They can't take my paintings. That was actually the very first thought I had when I decided that I could do more in art. So we started doing all sorts of things, clothing and and shirts. And it was a very tumultuous time. Everything that we did during that time was rather destined to fail. They were so bent on, on prosecuting me and sending me to prison that they, I wouldn't say actively sort of sought out to sabotage us, but they told our clients not to work with us and uh, the state. And uh, they took our money and froze our assets and we couldn't pay our contractors and we couldn't pay uh, for our supplies. And it was really frustrating. Um, I got charged with uh, a whole bevy of charges, almost 90 and possibly even more than that. And in the state of Arizona, when you own a company or when you're the head of a corporation, you are responsible for everything that happens in that corporation, whether you personally did those things or not. And I hired a man who was dishonest. Mm -hmm. And it was very difficult to understand the nature of the charges because when it was reported in the press and sometimes by the state itself, at least in the beginning, they would say, well, she did this and she did that. But actually it wasn't me that did this or did that. It was the person I hired. However, it didn't matter. In the state of Arizona, it doesn't matter if you know, it doesn't matter if you're guilty. What matters is, did it happen? Yeah, it happened. Uh, it doesn't matter who did it. And they blocked my ability to defend my charges on the merits because of a mental illness by doing something called emotion and limity five years before my trial that prohibited me from bringing up anything to do with mental health. So I was never able to address anything on the merits. And it was, it was a horrific experience. It was like having your story defined and told by someone who makes it up as they go. So it didn't even matter in the, in the eyes of the law, what other people said or what they believed or what they felt. And uh, so I was sentenced to 27 years in prison. Wow. And um, the only thing I thought the day that I was sentenced to prison was, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Someone somewhere is going to know that this isn't what happened. And it took 14 years to get through it to the other side. But I was released. And I was released because of a victory on appeal with sentencing reduction. But I was never exonerated. Oh, wow. So, so you, I mean, basically, uh, 14 years of your life were kind of not gone, but they were like completely changed and, and, you know, limited in, 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 in any shape or form for something that you haven't done. 
and that's that right. those 14 years could have been 27 basically that's right if and nothing else i wouldn't even country. say something that i haven't done because it, it's irrelevant um i mean i maintain that i was not guilty of the charges i was convicted of but i also maintain i was bipolar i am bipolar i'm seriously mentally ill i'm medicated I need to be medicated. I'm one of those people that needs to be medicated for the rest of my life. And I accept that. But it's... Jeez. My apologies. Um, hold on. You're Can you see me? Yes, yes. Oh. Always back. Crap. I'm sorry. It's okay. Yeah, you're back. Oops. The beauty of live streaming, guys. We lost her, but I'm sure she'll be back. Such a bummer. There's no ideal solution, right? When you do Twitter spaces, you get rocked. When you do this, something happens. Um, and now I have to entertain you somehow until she's back. So, um, yeah, feel free to leave comments or something so I can see what you're saying <laughs> to make sure I'm not completely alone. Let me message her. Um, let's see what's going on. Oh dear. But I guess it's always better this way than the other way around. Oh, sorry. It's okay. It's fine. It happens. <laughs> This, this is not the first time, so it's, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I put my... Um... It's, it's much worse when I'm dropping off because then <laughs> the guests don't know what to do. So, um, yeah, all good. So, um, all I was going to say to return to that is um, that I made so many bad decisions and I made so many unwise decisions with the way I spent money and the way that I viewed things. It would have been different It I had I been on medication. So this experience, this period of time, and that gross gullibility, just the disgusting sense of gullibility will not be present if I'm properly medicated. So I know I need to be medicated the rest of my life. And I say that because at closing, when the prosecutor was doing his closing, he kept saying a reasonable person would not think this. A reasonable person wouldn't have spent this money. A reasonable person would have said something was wrong. But the thing is, Ani, I wasn't a reasonable person. I was a mentally ill person. And I was not allowed to tell the jury that. And that was the crux of it, that, that in America they criminalize symptoms. Because all of the examples of my guilt at closing were my symptoms. Um, acceptable symptoms by the American Psychiatric Association and, and recognized symptoms of bipolar and obsessive compulsive disorder, both of which I have. So um, it's, it's much more complex than just a simple statement of saying, I didn't do it because I, I was ill and I made poor decisions that compounded the problems, I guess is, is the heart and soul of what I'm saying. And I think it's important to talk about that honestly, because there are so many people in this world who are mentally ill 
and they're told they're bad people or they're told that they're that they're criminals or they're told that they're not good um and they're diminished and they're less of a person because they're mentally ill and it shouldn't be like that it's no different than someone who's diabetic no, I, I, I totally agree with you. And and now you're adding another layer that makes the whole situation even more complex because I, you know, initially it was already hard enough to be a quote-unquote reasonable person if yeah. there is something like that. But like being a reasonable person and, and being in jail for 13 years. But yes. Being in your state and being in jail for 14 years, I mean, there is so much like additional challenge on top of everything else, which I think is pretty, pretty hard already. So, uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, let's try to understand. I mean, yeah, you were telling yourself that it, it's going to be okay and and you were trying to sort of, you know, um, grasp the situation and deal with it. Uh, but I'm sure it was extremely, extremely hard. So it was. when you were there for so long. Yeah, I was um, there for so long. I never thought I'd see my family again. I never thought I'd see my husband what again. Kept you, what kept you not to give up? Because I'm sure that, you know, many, many people in your position – would have given up, would have broken, um, you know, it would have been very, very hard for them to sort of, uh, um, to keep that courage and to keep that hope inside them and to, to force themselves to, you know, within certain limits to do whatever they can to continue living yeah. and, and waiting for something. So, I did. Uh, I did have times where I gave up. Um, but inevitably, it's going to sound really corny, but inevitably something almost magical would happen. Something spiritual and wonderful would happen when that happened. And um, when I found myself in, in my darkest times, um, I would hear this little voice say, it's important that you realize that there's another side to this, that, that you're going to come out of the other end of this. So even while other people were telling me that I'd be there forever and that I would die there, I would never hold my husband again or meet a grandchild or have any kind of experience. Um, something inside of me said, no, that's not, that's not what's going to happen here. And you need to keep faith. And it's something that was like this, core of resilience you know so I spent those 14 years studying world religion and I studied uh, Hinduism and I studied uh, the Bhagavad Gita in Sanskrit and because I mean where else are you going to have time to do something like that uh, yeah <laughs> um, I studied all all the religions I possibly could because I wanted to understand what the common thread was. So mm -hmm. I made that my mission. And then each day, each day I would paint. Um, I would paint my emotion for that day and my ability to cope. So I painted uh, 5,600 and I believe 40 paintings altogether. Wow. Um, I tried to do it every day. There were some days I just couldn't 
I couldn't bring myself to do it. But on the whole, it gave me a purpose that was absolutely devoid. Prison is not for reform in America. Prison is punishment in America. You may think that you're going to prison and that is your punishment, but that's not the way that society looks at it. When people go to prison, they are punished. So you're treated poorly. You're dehumanized. You're an inmate. You're technically property of the United States. It is, it is a startling and, and horrific way to view your existence. But they couldn't take my thoughts and they couldn't take my brain. And I painted to leave there every day on paper. And I did. So, uh, yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, it's just, it, it proves yet another, like mm -hmm. another way that how powerful the art is and, and yes. how much it's, uh, it's kind of, uh, basically that was your gateway to, to something brighter, I presume, or to, you know, that helped you cope with the emotions and with, uh, with everything that you were going through. I probably, yes. um, it was everything. I, I couldn't, doing I couldn't daily, cope. doing it daily and, and, and producing so many pieces. <laughs> it's, it's, it's just mind blowing. So, would you like how would you see your journey do you like would you see a difference a progress kind of you know were you developing further were things changing when you were doing oh, it yeah. like what was happening like in the life side of things like how was it changing you from from like non-artist but like a human perspective and how your art was being changed by by going through the whole process my art did change. In the beginning, it was very dark. Um, but there was an undercurrent of constant hope. I didn't want my children to look back on my art. I didn't want my husband to look back on my art and say, clearly my wife was, you know, suicidal during this time. Because those thoughts existed. And... Um, I wanted them to know that even as I struggled and even though I, even though I floundered, um, that ultimately it would be represented as hope in my paintings, that I would use the laws of attraction in particular to live beyond the pages and the environment that I was. It was... Um, a whole different level of existence. And, you know, you're not allowed to hug there, but, but girls sometimes do. And you're not allowed to form a close friendship there, but obviously people do. And, um, and the food is inedible, so you get sick. And I think I read a statistic that 30% of the people in Arizona that were in prison had cancer. So um, I was working with the American Civil Liberties Union for a while to improve healthcare in the DOC system. And, um, and, we, and we won that. We won a settlement in that. 
but it's almost like scraping the top layer of scum off something and then realizing that the entire cake or or vat or jar or what have you is scum so you're you're scraping scum off scum <laughs> it's gonna go right yeah. back to that cesspool um but it was like um it was the opposite of everything that we are here. You know how we look forward to weekends and holidays here, but there you didn't. There you dreaded them and you just wanted to get to the other side of them in the hope that the next time that you could be with someone you love or, or have a better life. The other thing is, is that um, as you lose uh, family members, as people die, it makes you reevaluate and understand how important it is to forgive not only people that wronged you, but, but yourself. That was all a journey in my art during that time. Like I would berate myself and then forgive myself and then um, cry out in pain and then try to self comfort and self heal. Sometimes it was successful and sometimes it wasn't, but I would get up again the next day and keep going until I did. I painted a piece called The Bright Side of a Bad Day, the day that I lost my second appeal. Um, we had won sentencing relief, but it was kind of like being told, well, you won, but we're going to leave part of it anyway. Um, there is no concrete justice there's no such thing, at least from my life and my case. No, no such thing as justice. There is um, the story that one side wants to get out. And then that determines whether or not that's going to be the accurate story that the public is told. And then they make a decision about that and that's it. It doesn't matter what the facts are it doesn't matter what the truth is mm -hmm. and I will always have that story behind me and I think about it as someone else's story because it's not my story it's like uh, a novel about someone so it that struggle of duality that struggle for finding out who I am and understanding who I am all of that was in all of the work that I did. You'll see duality again and again and again, because it all came down to the day and the night and the happy and the tragic and the sad and the more sad. <laughs> and it just was, it was suffocating. And um, I made a decision to fight back and it was the right decision, but it was an agonizing decision because it made everyone's lives harder. Yeah, but but it was worth it, obviously, because uh, you know we're we're it, talking to you now, and and you're uh, uh, you're out, uh, you're in in a way better state, and yes. you're uh, able to talk about it and to share your story, which is also which too uh, requires courage, right? It's it's not just going through the mm -hmm. whole thing, but also mm -hmm. talking and about it and relieving it over and over again is is another thing that you're going through so yeah you're right when you 
Yeah, when you go back to the art and like all these pieces are basically kind of illustrating and, and showing your journey, your internal journey and, and your whole story during those years. Um, many people, many artists kind of, you know, there, there are different discussions about how much of your art you actually need to explain and whether mm -hmm. the art should talk for itself. So when you're looking at your pieces, like, um, do you think that you need the backstories and you need explanations so people can sort of perceive it the right way? Or do you think that just by looking at the piece, they will get similar feelings that you were just putting out there? I think on the most part, people can judge how I'm feeling by looking at my work um, and, and that they get that. But I did feel that need to add a layer to it. So I started writing a poem about each piece so that you could yeah. understand what I felt that day. And it really wasn't always poetry. Sometimes it was just prose. Um, mm -hmm. But I felt that it gave it a layer that wouldn't have otherwise had been there. So it wasn't that someone needed to understand the situation or the story. It was that someone needed to specifically understand this is what I felt this day. This is what happened this day. And this is why I felt this on this day. Got it. Yeah. So after so many years, once you were finally out, uh, I know there is like, you know, it's also hard to adjust back to life, right? After so many years oh, yeah. of being closed up, uh, going back to life, I, I presume is not a very easy, it's another journey and another adjustment to, to, to make. And probably, I don't even know whether you were going out as a different person or the same person but like you know I'm, I'm sure there have been loads of kind of transformations during the whole journey and then you got out um I am a more anxious person for sure I'm I'm more I'm I'm so anxious it's one of the things I'm really working on through therapy because I get this almost spiraling bipolar anxiety OCD where it just descends in my mind into this panic, you know, oh, is this okay? Wait, is, is this really happening? Oh, no, no, no. Am I being paranoid or is this actually something that I do need to be concerned about? And while I think that those qualities in my, in my chemistry help me be a more effective artist, they're still difficult to live with. And I have, um, obviously, uh, really intense PTSD. I still can't handle big crowds. I don't like gatherings where people are there. Everyone mm -hmm. thinks that I'm extroverted, but I'm not. I am, um, I am uh, an introvert that's willing to run in front of a car to try to tackle that, that shortcoming. Um, so I'm, I'm antisocial. Um, but I'm working on it, you know, and I, I feel like without art, I, I wouldn't have made it. it I, yeah, I, I believe you. I can, I can imagine that because uh, I remember I had a 
not similar interview because like everyone's stories are very, very different. But many years ago, probably about seven, seven years ago, I interviewed a writer who was a suicidal and, and she told me that she started writing at that dark time and, and writing actually saved her life. It yes. kind of helped her cope with things. And, and eventually, now she's a full-time writer. She stuck mm-hmm. to it. She made it her, yeah. uh, her main life purpose, etc. Uh, but, but that was kind of, you know, the moment um, mm-hmm. where it was another kind of example how art can actually save lives, literally save lives, right? So, um, so in your case, I'm sure it played a big role in, in you going through the whole thing and 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 basically coming out as a winner at, at the other side of the story. Um, once you were out, how did the role of the art in your life, tr- did it transform? Was it equally essentially strong or like, did did something change in in terms of what art was for you and did you continue painting every single day or did anything change in that respect when i when i first came home i did um oh my gosh upwards of 500 portraits um i paint hyper realism portraits and i i love painting people i loved gifting photographs and paintings uh, to people who had lost loved ones. I loved giving work to charity and to people that were less fortunate. That was, I didn't have much else to give. So that was a way to, to give back and to be grateful. My, my work did change. Um, I became not so much pouring my my heart onto the paper in order to wake up the next day and make it through the day, but instead wanting to pour my heart out and tell them this is how I survived. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, no, no, it does. I wanted to give a testament to to the reasons I kept going. And love. Love kept me going. My husband stayed with me through the 14 years I was gone. My children stayed with me. My parents stayed with me. They supported me and believed in in an end to this. And it was so hard for all of them to be teased or to be told by other people, well, your mom is a crook or a fraud or a scam or a scam artist. And they had to basically say, you weren't there. You, you didn't experience it. You, you don't understand what happened. But when you're a kid, that's not something that you should have to explain. Mm-hmm. Now they're grown Absolutely. up. Um, my work reflected that desperation to matter beyond those walls, to do something that would help someone. Now my work is, is just gratitude, gratitude for making it. And when I get anxious, I almost reprimand myself by saying, you are so lucky. You are so lucky. 
to to have a family to have what's left of my family and um yeah it changes the perspective right it it changes like completely the way you see things and priorities change and uh yeah, oh, yeah, I can imagine how, like, you know, all, all these small, ridiculous things we all kind of worry about or focus on or, or yeah, try to achieve. Uh, from, <laughs> from that perspective, I feel like they are all so tiny and unimportant and, yeah. and all that, right? So I can only imagine, like, how the paradigm shifts were happening <laughs> in your mind uh, from, from that side of things. Um, I feel like Let's... I'm authentic for the first time in my life. Um, that I was never good enough to be, to be someone that someone, to be a person that someone would want to know just for who I am. It's another mental health thing. I'm pretty sure it's it's an artist thing too, for sure. Uh, I'm not I'm not special enough. I'm not good enough. You know, and. Now I realize um, I think I'm good enough. Uh, I am good enough. And now more than that, I would say way <laughs> more than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it saved my life. And then coming out and having that art, and then making something new of it with NFTs. It was kind of like adding a narrative that ran in tandem with that time that said, yes, I, I was there. I lived that. That was an awful time, but I kept going and look at this yeah. living painting, this new thing that's been created because that is my illustration of what went on after it. It's very strong narrative. I totally agree <laughs> with you. And and let's let's segue to the, you know, a more positive stage. Uh, uh, let's let's get to the times when you discovered the NFTs uh, because, like, yes. you know, we're still early. Um, many yeah, we haven't even have no idea about this space so like we we're, we're among <laughs> ourselves so we think it's many of us but you know if you look at at just the percentage or what fraction of the population we are it, it, it's still very small we're still very early um yes. so uh, so tell me about your journey like how did you discover the nfts and what made you attracted to them because you know it's 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 it takes a bit of time to grasp the whole thing right so yeah. uh, what was your journey towards that you know my journey the... was hilarious and wonderful um I I was making fantastic money painting people, um, but I was creatively um, suffocated. You can't mm -hmm. paint other people and express yourself. Yeah, it has to be so meticulous and so perfect. You know that exact nose, those exact eyes. This, you know, it just. It's very meticulous work and it's, and it's not creatively expressive. So I found myself, I remember uh, last year I had 45 paintings to do. <laughs> and, um, and I was going to finish by Christmas. 
And I remembered saying to myself, I need to find a way to get this kind of business with my own expression, my own work, my own creativity. So I sort of set a sight on doing that. But um, what really turned the table was uh, it was in, I believe, late July. And I saw that, that article about people that everybody saw where he sold 5,000 every day. Yeah. yeah. 63 million, I think. Yeah. And, and I said, I painted 5,000 paint. I painted more than 5,000 paintings every day. You know, I should be in NFTs. I should do that. So I said to my husband, Hey, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and go in, in, into NFTs. And he said, you cannot do that. Because my husband is my balance for all of my Pollyanna optimism. He is my my devil's advocate, um, a.k.a. Killjoy. <laughs> and, uh, he said, you cannot do that. You know nothing about that. And you have a good income right now. And many people do not. Are you really going to throw that income away on something that you know nothing about? And I said, you watch because I'm going to kill it. <laughs> I'm going to kill it. You're, you're challenging the wrong woman mindset. here. So <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I announced on Twitter, you know what? I'm going to stop doing traditional art as my main platform, and I'm going to do NFTs. And the next day, I was called by Bloomberg Magazine and asked to do an interview. My husband said, this is really unfair. The universe is not funny because here I am telling you, you know nothing. And on your very first day of knowing nothing, you're going to be interviewed by Bloomberg. I was like, yeah, because it's a sign that I'm going in the right direction. Did I know anything? No, I knew nothing. But that's why they wanted to interview me. What makes a person who knows nothing about NFTs decide to drop everything and go into them? Yeah, That was my first yeah. article. Um. And then I, since then, I've sold 65 on, on major platforms and uh, probably 40 on the minor platforms, you know, and collectibles and things like that. Possibly as much as 140. I, I can't recall for sure, but you would think that I would be rolling in the dough, right? <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> because of gas. Because of gas, Annie. I, I, Annie, I, I made... feel your pain. I'm sure everyone who's listening or watching to this, uh, oh. we've all gone through the whole thing, keeping refreshing to find the right hour, waking up oh, at night to God. find the right hour. It's just not happening. Annie, I, so I spent I totally over $35,000 on minting, listing, and gas. And, um, uh, yeah. I don't think I've ever spent that amount of money on anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, paint, paint and intangible. brushes. Would, yeah. yeah, paint and brushes would have been much, much cheaper, right? <laughs> yeah, can... I know. So, um, it got to the point where I wasn't even making a profit anymore. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, raising my floor because I realized when people sold my work, they sold it. Oh, my gosh, I... I had quite a few people buy at 0.15 and sell for 0.9, you know, so it, they were making a killing and I just decided that it's okay to raise my floor a bit, yeah. but then we went, then we hit the down market. So of course, even though it's not 
a reflection on on the work I'm doing or on me as an artist, nor is it a reflection on you or anyone else in the market. It it affects you at your core when you don't have a sale for a while that, you know. It, it does because I think like, you know, most of the artists who like you have sort of given up what you were doing and went all in into this space and kind of bat everything here uh obviously when you know when when things slow down there is this panic mode there is this anxiety because you don't know how it's gonna go later on right because the right. thing is although we know that it's the future uh, we don't know when that future is coming right so it's like you yeah. don't know how long you're gonna just need need to go through this and plus loads of things are quite unpredictable and illogical so it's it's yes. I, I can totally get that feeling when when things slow down why people are feeling very anxious because um, it's it's uh, it's hard i mean selling art i think mentally is hard as well because for many many artists uh, selling is associated with something not so nice with more like like artists are not business people right so for no. many <laughs> like two completely no, separate things we are not and in the NFT space you basically yeah but in in this space you're you're pretty much everything you're the artist and you're the marketer and you're the sell a uh, salesperson and yes. you're your PR person and and you yes. know the only way to make it is basically to do everything right at least in the beginning until you can you can have some help but that's that's the hard part and and many people are just mentally not comfortable with that whole thing they are like oh this is piece of my soul i i i you know how do i put a price tag to it right um no you're absolutely so, right uh, so it's a challenge well plus then yeah. the, there's the issue of the price tag of do i deserve that am i asking for too much yeah why do i think i deserve that you know it it is the entire internal strug struggle of i don't think that i'm worthy and even someone like me, who's had many sales, I think on CryptoArt.io, it shows I've sold 141, but that includes some duplicates, like some collectibles, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I still look at that and say, do I deserve that? I, I have a hard time believing that I deserve that. That's, I, that well, is a subconscious thing. I'm officially thing. telling you do so oh. <laughs> if that makes any difference <laughs> you do thank but, you uh, but but i get it you know like it, it you can go to extremes with this right it's it's like it's so much like mind work going on in this whole space because like there are some artists who have self-doubts and kind of t thinking about whether they deserve it or not like you and yeah. most in most cases from my experience those are the artists who actually deserve it um and then there is another group who kind of compares themselves with all these high-priced uh, artists. And they're like, oh, I can't do that too. Like, it's not a big deal. Why am I not getting that amount? Like, I should put my prices higher to because it's something similar that I'm doing as well. So it's it's so hard to keep the right balance and to sort of objectively try to evaluate whatever it is. So uh, I guess... It's true. I don't know. Maybe, maybe we should just let go and have the people who are buying it 
decide that kind of thing, you know? It because is if, if, totally if they're, true, Ani. Because it I, is, I, I just don't, I don't know what's, yeah, because I just feel like there's no, how do you actually, I don't think there is any like right way to, to come up with pricing, right? Um, because it's not only your decision, it's, you, you have another person on the other side as well. Who's who's going to decide whether you do? He's willing to and, pay that and price. And what or I've not. learned, it was a hard lesson. But what I've learned is, when you drop your floor, it doesn't mean that you're going to get a guaranteed sale. Uh, it 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 yeah. doesn't mean that more people are going to come and look. I I actually believed that that was the case. When you drop your floor, you're letting people know that you have less faith in yourself. So I'm really working on yeah. not doing that anymore. Uh, yeah, I would tend to believe that. And I feel like it's the problem with, uh, and I've seen this in business usually um, in most cases, is that when people do big discounts or, or start with low prices, that low price itself in people's mind makes this association of that thing being cheap, right? So you may. Or that's the level just, of quality. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So it's it's sometimes that price tag actually tells something more and 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 kind of you know I don't know, but in any no, case right. it's, it's it's tricky. It's it, it's a tricky thing, and I I just feel like to me personally it's just okay. What am I putting this price on that if it doesn't go to auction if there is no bid war if someone just gets it with that price. I won't feel bitter. I will be okay with that. That's kind oh, of the way I look at it. That is because... exactly the way to look at it. Right there. That That's a beautiful and eloquent way to look at it. Because uh, if, if an auction is won and you know you're not even going to clear gas, it you resent it. So yeah, you feel you're like... Right. Yeah, you'd rather gift it and, and, and pay less gas and transfer it to someone's wallet instead. Holy right? moly. If you look at... 100%. <laughs> I have um, four pieces that are up right now, and they're really good pieces, and I would prefer not to burn them. Um, but I just wake up every day and I say, well, today it didn't sell. And some of them are down to either 0.15 or 0.2, and probably the best work I've done in a really long time. And I just got to remind myself every day, this is a recovering market right now, you know? It is. And uh, don't judge the people that collect you by, by what work is available that's not yet moving because it will find the right owner. It will find oh, that it, person that connects with it. I totally agree with you because, I mean, I'm, I'm coming from the writing background, right? So I, I sort of, I've been... About 10 years ago, I kind of started, my very first podcast was about writing. So I started from the self-publishing kind of sphere, right? Yeah. And uh, and I knew so many writers who basically were in the same situation, right? Most of them had this struggle of understanding how to market their books, how to get visibility on social media, how to make people know it. And and I think yeah. like consuming books is so much harder. Like, you know, yes. it's a harder sell because it's it's more time and effort that people are putting into consuming your art. It's not something that they would see and and get it, right? So it's it's a little bit tricky 
trickier in that respect. And um, so there were several writers who kept writing books and, and they were not selling, but they had like 10 books under their belt already self-published on Amazon, right. just sitting there completely ignored. And then at one point, one of those 10 books would just pick up. And yes. what happened would be just within a few months, everyone who wrote that, that uh, who wrote that one book would go back every other book from the other. And that, oops, did, did we lose connection? Are you back? That is absolutely stellar. Yeah, you, you've, Marianne, you're you back. blipped. Yeah. yeah. And, and then, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so no, no, and no. then you, basically, you were losing your you know, connection, but um, then it everyone else <laughs> would go back and and buy all these books, all these other nine books. Yes. So you're right. Um, so uh, I keep telling artists that you know what all this time and effort that you're putting into something and all these unsold pieces. They are not in vain. They are not lost. You're, you don't. You shouldn't look at it like something that is gone and you missed the chance and that's it. Because eventually, you know, later on, on the long term, people are going to go back and try to to look. I mean, Beeple was selling his pieces one dollar a piece before he blew up. Yeah. There were many, many people who were not rich at all and who just liked the piece and bought it for one dollar right yes now it's like these people are uh have a very valuable piece of art but it's exactly the same piece of art so yes. um that's that's how to look at it like yes that is I a mean, fantastic is, analogy it's, it's not salt but it doesn't mean anything yeah no, i right. mean all uh, e even some pieces from the everyday collection where were sold by one dollar a piece back in those days wow and um, and it's uh, and people were getting them. So basically, you know, that's the beauty of this space because you don't have to be extremely rich to no. to end up having amazing pieces in your wallet, which we right. may appreciate in the future. But even if they don't, they are really great pieces that that at a great price at the moment, right? So it's fantastic. Um, so yeah, it's just uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, just uh, another inspiration from Beeple, basically. <laughs> Beeple is inspiring. Uh, just He's and that's consistently another, inspiring. Yeah, and and I think that the, another thing thing that no one talks about when when we talk about these inspiring stories, and specifically when we talk about Beeple, and there are many other artists who made it, uh, quote unquote, made it kind of. Uh, is the fact that everyone thinks it's overnight success, but those guys oh. grinded for over 10 years, day in and yes. day out to get there. But no one talks about that, right? Everyone thinks like, oh my God, NFTs are this big thing. It's blowing up. I'm yeah. doing something as well. Why not just try it, right? Uh, and there yeah. is a difference. There is a difference there is in a quality. Difference. There is a difference in in kind of, you know, you, you can't, make up in in 10 days by by just trying few things like 10 plus years of grinding of, of an artist right and and all these articles they never actually spoke about the fact that this guy has been around for a long time that he's been 
working really hard that this was like the end after a fact of all the hard work that he's done no one loves to hear about that everyone loves to hear about like all the headlines were focusing on 60 whatever million no, no one actually focused right. on what it took to get there and i think it's an important thing because then people come with wrong expectations and then they get disappointed of course um you know i i worked every day for you know almost 14 years um i mean i 5600 pieces but um people look at it and think well how did you how did you develop this technique why is it so easy for you no it's not easy <laughs> i i did a lot of the grunt work back mm. then you know um no, nothing those... is easy nothing worth no you know, worth fighting for is not easy. It's it's just, uh, I think that's the thing, like get rich quick, overnight success, all these terms that are being fed to us, like, you know, even uh, like the, that over positive way of showing things and, and, and simplifying it and making it easier. And just, you know, even when we give advice, to each other we're like yes. yeah just be active in the community but like what does it actually mean it doesn't mean just you know be on all the spaces and keep talking right and right right no. and left and and just you know it, it's 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 not that so we're we too are simplifying things sometimes because mm -hmm. we, we want probably think that it's that easy that you know we keep telling each other that we're all going to make it. But the problem is that no one talks about the fact that not all are going to make it. Yes, some some will make it, but it's not all of us. It's, you know, with the time, the things we're going to change. We're just starting. Yeah. And also uh -oh. time on Twitter spaces, but it's going to have pads and some of us are going to make it. Some of us are not going to make it. So it's you know it's, you're gonna uh, make it do you want to know who's gonna make and, it and i, I uh, the people who put in the work who the maintenance you can't plant a flower garden give it no water and yeah. expect it to bloom you know we're gonna make it because we're yeah. watering our plants <laughs> yeah no i i agree that you know it uh, it takes dedication it takes persistence i think the people are gonna make those people are gonna make it who who in two or three years time are still gonna be around are gonna have done the groundwork and the daily effort dedicated kind of you know grinding for those two three years Yes. Uh, and I'm sure not everyone will be like, if you look three years later back at, at the big group of people who were around us, uh, some of them won't be around us anymore. Uh, yeah. Maybe some new people will be coming like it, it will be changing, but it's it's normal like the market will mature. Uh, yes. Expectations will get higher uh, collectors and will they should be more. Um, maybe there will be more need for utility of the nfts they should do a bit more than just be the art piece maybe they should be i don't know but all i'm saying is it it all takes kind of um, 
uh, hard work. It's it, there's nothing that happens like very easy and smooth and fast. And even for artists, uh, they keep developing. They keep going through things. They keep finding new ways. They keep thinking about how to do things differently. So uh, it's uh, it's going to take some time. I think so too. Um, do we? Uh, what I suggest is let's just launch. Um, a Twitter spaces and sure. see if anyone would like to talk to us there. Uh, okay. So we'll just move there. Um, I'm, um, I'm, you know, uh, I don't know if I- I'm sorry if we ended up like having a very emotional and deep conversation, but I just mm-hmm. felt like there was no way around it. Um, no, I think that so, um, it's okay because by talking about it, other people can see if if I made it through that, they can make it, you know? Oh, definitely. I am the extreme so, case that people look at and say, well, she made it through that. You know, how'd she do that? So I want them to know how I did that so that they know they can do it too. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's very inspiring and, and uh, you know, very positive outcome. And uh, and I'm very happy that things turned out the way they did for you. Me too. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much thank for you. the time. Thanks a lot for the episode. Thank Take you. Care. Thank you for having Bye. me on today. Bye. That's all that I had for you today. Thank you very much for listening. I truly appreciate every single one of you. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review because that would help the podcast grow. And to make sure that you're up to date with my articles as well, please subscribe to my newsletter at anialexander.com backward slash NFT rebels. Take care and I'll meet you in the next episode.